What's up, guys? This is Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Launching this week on our podcast network is a new show from Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay called Higher Learning. Two times a week, they'll be dissecting the biggest topics in Black culture, politics, and sports, and wade into the most important and timely conversations. The first episode is out now, so make sure to subscribe to Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today in a three-man weave by two very exciting people, Danny Kelly, the Dark Knight, and Roto World's Patrick Doherty. How you doing, guys? Doing well, man. I'm great. I'm really happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of uh, both of you and uh, all the Ringer's amazing NFL content. Uh, you know, this is one of my best pandemic activities so far. You know, a lot of competition. <laughs> Uh, uh, with pandemic activities, all the amazing gatherings I've gone to. Um, I will say Gary Bettman and Peyton Manning have reopened the economy this week and sports are back, but we've still got a handful of weeks until football comes back for training camp. Now, a couple reports today, Charles Robinson from Yahoo, friend of the pod, said that essentially there's, there's some hope of of some normalcy, maybe even an outside chance. There could be some mini camps in June. I don't know about that. Mini camps, by the way, are supposed to be happening right now. They're really the first, uh, first week in June. Um, around this time, every all 32 teams have a mandi- mandatory uh, three-day period. Uh, that's not going to be happening. It might happen in a couple weeks. I still think there's an outside chance of that, but I, I wouldn't put any money on it. Uh, I still think the, the, the likeliest option is maybe a longer training camp uh, that you start, I don't know, July 21st or something to try to make up for, for the lost time. But it's all unknowable. Uh, J.C. Treader uh, came out and said the union hasn't agreed to anything. That's something we need to keep in mind. The players have to agree to this. This is a long way of saying we still don't know very much, but we are crawling towards a season. Uh, wanted to, with all of this in mind, rank the coaches. That's what we <laughs> want to do because this is a coaching year, guys. This is a big coach. Every year of football ever has been a coaching year, but this is a coaching year because it's Zoom offseason. It's no mini camps, no rookie mini camps, no OTAs. I think if any any year since 2011 when the lockout wiped out the season has been been more reliant on coaches, um, I'd be surprised. You know, in 2011, Bill Belichick literally changed his defense around because he knew they weren't going to have time to install a new system or a more complicated system. So he just simplified things and they got to the Super Bowl. That's why Bill Belichick is the best coach of all time. Um, I think that there are probably Spoiler. coaches there are probably going <laughs> coaches who are going to overcomplicate this and sort of do too much on Zoom. Sean Payton has canceled his Zoom offseason, but this is a long way of saying that this is going to be a very coach-dependent season, coaching and veterans and all that stuff. So we wanted to do our 10 best coaches, and then we'll have a discussion on the worst coaches. And I will say, in looking at the worst coaches, Pat, maybe you'll agree with me here. It seems like there's a real dearth of just total zeros a coach. Like, there's a couple... (laughs) But I feel like uh, most years there's like five, six, seven guys in, in the conversation for worst. And I don't know if that's the case this year. No, it's funny you make that observation because I was telling people that around when I published this article. You know, people used to be like, oh, I'll just scroll to the bottom for Jeff Fisher. 
And yeah. uh, I got some of that from Jets fans and Adam Gase, who, yeah. spoiler alert, I didn't have dead last. Um, but I agree. Uh, it's the, the worst of the worst are not as bad as usual this year, which, you know, maybe it's a sign or teams are getting better at hiring. I mean, probably not. It's probably just like a fluke. <laughs> um, but yeah, some of these people I had as the worst coach, like as my worst coaches, like I don't think are good coaches. Like it felt like didn't feel right, like putting them at the bottom. Whereas like Jeff Fisher, you know, whatever, like no brainer. Um, yeah, I totally agree that uh, maybe we're in a golden age for coaching. And uh, if this is a golden age for coaching, I mean, uh, that's a bad it's kind sign. Of a sign that there's no such thing as a golden age yeah. for coaching. <laughs> but uh, right, yeah. So I, I think that. Part of it is there's been so much turnover that these guys have not been revealed to be Jeff Fisher. That's true. And you don't get a chance to be Jeff Fisher anymore. Yeah, you, you don't. don't right. Right. If you go eight and eight or seven and nine or even nine and seven for a number of years now, you just get fired. <laughs> it's true. The premier leagueification of uh, NFL coaches. Right. Um, Syria. Ah, just get them fired <laughs> in week 14 and bring in another guy. Yeah. We're trying to, you know, five years, uh, the Jaguars will just have four coaches, you know, in one year. It'll be very normal. Um, Hockey, just Lou, uh, some, somehow Lou Lamarillo is coaching the Jaguars <laughs> next year for an, on an interim basis. All right, let's get to the list. Danny, let's start with you. And the reason I wanted Ooh. to start with you is because when I told you the gimmick for this particular episode, you said, I'm going to have some takes. <laughs> and and we need we need a huge opener right now. Give us your 10 through 6. Oh, man. I really wish that Mike McCoy was still coaching in the NFL, um, which we learned last night while we were texting. He's out of is football. Is Mike McCoy out of is <laughs> He is out of football. We know that. So Mike McCoy found a way to make the Cardinals very boring in 2018 as an offensive coordinator. He was an extremely uninspiring Chargers head coach. And I don't want to make this a Mike McCoy episode, but it's Mike McCoy getting a job again. Someday. I think you will. Like as a quarterback's coach or something like that. Yeah, like a special teams coach. I don't know. What are the, what are the, what's the hierarchy of coaches? I don't know if that's tra- it's transferable. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Assistant tight ends coach there at you Oklahoma go. State or something. Yeah. No, he can get parlays that into, yeah, QB's coach for like two years for a team that wins six games in two years. But we... We haven't seen the last of Mike McCoy. He's he's a card-carrying <laughs> member of the uh, Marty Morningwig uh, Union. Yeah. But he'll be back. He's also 48 years old, so he's got a chance to go through the system again and become an offensive coordinator for one more year. Like that, <laughs> like 2027, he's somehow he's the offensive coordinator for for the Bucks. He might have missed the boat on his like last coordinator opportunity because I feel like he would have needed like an act of God or something like a pandemic to like totally disrupt the season. But the pandemic happened after the hiring cycle. And so like he, they just, he would have had to been like a familiar hiring for someone under like emergency circumstances. Hmm. I'll say bad coaching finds a way. Danny, number 10. (laughs) I'm actually very curious to see what your guys' take on my number 10. I have Bruce Arians at number 10. So why do you have Bruce Arians 10? This one was tough because I think the 10 spot is like a tier of like four or five guys that I think could have easily made it into this group. Ultimately, I just went with Arians. He's a two-time coach of the year. He was one of the few recent coaches of the year that actually is a good coach, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know, everywhere he's gone, he's shown that he can, you know, manufacture a good offense. He hasn't always had a good off, uh, hasn't always worked with good uh, quarterbacks. He's managed to find ways to, um, be limber enough as a play caller to, you know, get the most out of his players. I think 
He seems to me like a, a type of coach that players want to play for. You know, he's mm-hmm. the kind of like just kind of a, I don't know, players coach, I guess is the cliche, but um, just like a dude that you want to play for. Uh, I remember during the peak years of the Seahawks 49ers rivalry, Bruce Arians came in there and kind of like did his own thing. He was like, there's a new sheriff in town. I think he even said one time when he beat the Seahawks. And so um, I just have a lot of respect for him for that era, but also just everywhere he's gone, he's, he's just had a lot of success. So I think, and, and I think what he's doing with the Buccaneers is pretty impressive too. Um, bringing them out of, you know, obscurity, I guess. And so, yeah, I, I think he's, you know, he's just a longtime coach that's been really successful everywhere he's gone. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't think you'll get an objection here. He's not on my list, but I certainly think he's a top half NFL coach. Um, what he did in Arizona is really, really impressive. I just, yeah. I wasn't like blown away by the 2019 Bucks, and he has a chance this year, obviously, to be an extreme, um, to, to be an extremely competitive, uh, feel extremely competitive Bucks team, but I'll just, I'll reserve judgment on that. Yeah. All right, number nine. Oh, go ahead, Pat. I'm sorry. I was just away in an Arians really quick because he is the tough one to rank because I always had him in the top 10 back when he was with the Cardinals, but I had him at 14 this year. So I felt like he was like kind of oddly disengaged last year. You know, like we weren't getting like <laughs> what he wasn't calling plays. Yeah. It, it seemed like he was, it was seemed like kind of like the focus of his season was to get Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles like head coaching jobs and which, you know, yeah. good. Um, but I just feel like we didn't weren't getting like vintage prime Bruce Arians, uh, kind of like his like his fire had gone out. But then uh, yeah, I think he's fixed that because if you don't have a fire, you know you're not bringing in Tom Brady. So I think right. like he was like trying to like get the juices flowing again this off season. And uh, yeah, the other thing I was going to say about him is he also is like one of the most honest coaches. Yeah, he was really pissed off at Jameis Winston. <laughs> yeah, he was. His ability to get really pissed off, especially late in the season at Jameis Winston, was that's when I knew Bruce Arians was back. (laughs) (laughs) That's what did it, I think, maybe. It's true. I should have not pinpointed it at Brady. It was when he finally lost it at the end of the season. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it'd be hard not. I mean, come on. Anybody would lose it on the way to 30 interceptions. All right, Janny Kelly, number nine. All right. uh, I got number nine. I have Doug Peterson of the Eagles. And... I think, you know, he he's kind of just like... I was about the, to say a little low, and then that's almost exactly where I have him. Yeah, I think he might... That might be, you spoiler alert, lower than Pat has him. Um, it is. Which I was a little bit surprised at Pat's ranking. So he can give me his his pitch, I guess, on, on Peterson. But um, I would just say Peterson has a very good blend of, mm-hmm. you know, he's forward-thinking, embraces analytics and, and all that stuff. Um, I love the offense that they run. Um, he did a lot with not a lot last year in terms of like all their injuries, you know, at the receiver position on multiple positions. Um, so he, he seemed to get the most out of his roster. Um, that said, I don't think he just like his history to me wasn't as, as um, strong, you know, over over time, I guess, than a lot of the other guys on this list. So. Um, I was, we're all probably going to have Doug Peterson in our top 10. He won a Super Bowl a couple years ago. Pat, do you want to do you want to do this now or do you want to go through Doug Peterson in your list when we do yours? I'll just do my Peterson spiel now. I have him number five. And you know, it's weird because like I feel like most of the issues with Doug Peterson almost come back to personnel. And like like personnel issues, like last year, all the receiver injuries, you know, every year, like the, mm-hmm. the injuries in the secondary, it seems like they never yeah. think secondary kind of make for this like chaotic feel and you know they had this super ascendant feel the the Super Bowl season until 
Nick Fo- or until uh, Carson Wentz tore his ACL. And even when they won the Super Bowl, you know, those games, this had like, it was just a very chaotic feel. And I feel like that mm-hmm. hasn't gone away. It's almost like, even though he's Mr. Analytics, he's been like MacGyver kind of like having these crazy, you know, the season going nowhere last year. And then they go four and out, you know, to steal the division away from the Cowboys. Um, well, like as Danny alluded to, uh, they're still, they were still one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL last year. Still one of the fastest pace. Um, to the things they did with Greg Ward as their number one receiver. <laughs> uh, like in quotations, was, Greg, yeah, Greg Ward. <laughs> exactly. Like they knew receiver was an issue before the season. Like they tried to address it and they just had a mm-hmm. million injuries again. And I feel like the, I feel like the indicator lights are all still very positive for Doug Peterson but that he's just had like an abnormal amount of chaos the past few years. I mean, when you keep making the playoffs, like with your backup quarterback, I mean, they didn't make the playoffs with their backup quarterback last year, but. Well, they made with a backup team. They had a start, their starting yeah, quarterback exactly. backup team. <laughs> yes. He has shown an ability to coach through it. And I think yes. like one of these years, he's going to have a year, you know, where they are on the, the, the lucky side of the injuries. Yeah. And they're going to like, look like a dominant force again, I think. He's in my top 10. He would have to do a lot to undo the coaching job he did to get this team a Super Bowl ring when essentially he had to retool a team on the fly. He used the bye weeks or the bye week in the playoffs to essentially hold another training camp. He did a million little things. I've written about it. We've talked about it on this podcast, but it was one of the best short term coaching jobs in the last 20 years and maybe ever um it's on it's definitely on the short list and so he's a good coach that's a good organization i'm interested to see what he does with the two quarterback thing i think that's something they've been they've been throwing around for a while and i'm intrigued to see it danny kelly number eight all right so number eight i'm gonna go with mike tomlin of the steelers um steelers i guess have been a little bit underwhelming obviously over the last couple of seasons but you know, throughout Tomlin's history, he's always, there's just, there's like, let's see here. There's one, two, three, four, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten double digit win seasons under his, um, in his tenure. Um, he's had to deal with a lot of big personalities and always seems to manage to kind of like smooth that out, I think. You should get some retroactive coach of the year awards for, <laughs> right. for us not finding out what was going on in that <laughs> locker room with Antonio Brown and other, and, <laughs> right. and, and Le'Veon Bell. I mean, like the guys, like Antonio Brown obviously had his issues and then Le'Veon Bell like, is kind of in a completely different category, but like, he's not having a great time in New York. And it's like, it's pretty amazing. Um, I was at those practices in you know, training camp in Latrobe and stuff. And I saw some kind of evidence that these guys that there were, there were, personalities that that needed to be managed in a big way but i didn't know it was this um that that mike tomlin was working the miracles he was working yeah i think like being a head coach is is a it's like a ceo type job where you have like all these you have a million different things they have to manage you have to manage the overall i guess like philosophy identity of the team and, and you know, you're the head of HR, you're the head of everything essentially. And I think yeah. just like the, the long-term like levelness that he's had, you know, um, it's just like, you know, just keeping him on the straight and narrow, I think it has been very, very impressive. So I don't know if there's like any one thing about him that I think is like, so that makes me think he's like this elite coach, but just the, I guess the breadth of what he's done over all the years. So. Yeah, I mean, he literally just went eight and eight with yeah. Duck Hodges. <laughs> that's, that's the biggest <laughs> argument. I think that Mike Tom, when actually rose 
a couple of spots for me. He did. Same with you, Pat. He did just one spot, but he rose okay. for me. I'll just I'll just jump. So Mike Tomlin, you know, it's he's always one of those guys. He's so difficult to rank. It's always difficult to rank guys who don't yeah. call the plays on one side of the ball. I feel like that's always makes him harder to evaluate. And then people are always hard to evaluate. Uh, like when the, so like every coach has flaws. And when like their right. flaws are so front and center, like say with Andy Reid and clock management, you know, it's like <laughs> when, when Andy Reid, you know, his worst flaws, like so magnified and so easy to spot. And it's kind of always been the same thing. With Mike Tomlin, it's like very questionable, like in-game decisions. You're know, like, mm-hmm. like Tomlin, you won't be surprised if he like, makes like a horrible challenge. And it's so, like, sometimes his fra- flaws are very like front and center and easy to spot. But uh, I mean, he can't, so like he can uh, coordinate his side of the ball if he wanted to. And he did last year. There was an anecdote from ESPN's Diana Rossini about how he basically blackboarded like a new game plan at halftime. I can't remember <laughs> the I think, and where they came out and won the game then. And clearly he's amazing at the CEO uh, role. Clearly he's amazing from a leadership perspective. Seeing, you know, last year, not just, losing Antonio Brown and then losing the quarterback in week one. And he's just one of those guys. I feel like the track record is long enough at this point where we need to accept that we can't maybe necessarily see everything that makes him special, but it's clear to the Steelers and his players what makes him special. And he should have more playoff victories, but I say this in my article, that's true of every other long-term coach who's not Bill Belichick. This is kind of like the nature of being a coach in the NFL. Also, so – I think that every coach, I think that they get judged obviously on their entire body of work, but I think that you really have to judge them when things go wrong. And I think that, you know, I famously a couple of years ago, Jack Del Rio was asked what he learned about the Raiders when Derek Carr went down and they obviously did, did not progress uh, in the playoffs. And they said, what'd you learn this year? And Jack Del Rio said, I learned not to lose my starting quarterback. And I don't know. That seemed like a seems like a bad attitude to have. Like, <laughs> a you know, little more philosophical than that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's it, being able to do something with nothing is impressive. And not that the Steelers weren't talented. Obviously, not only do they have a really good defense, but they added Minka Fitzpatrick in September. Um, but the quarterback position was a mess. Uh, they had lost two of the best at one point offensive weapons in the NFL with Brown and Bell. And I just think that his ability to eke something out of that team last year was, uh, was pretty impressive. I got to make one more point in favor of Mike Tomlin, just from my article. I was rereading my article. I'm like, I got to get this on the podcast. So, you know, they went eight and eight last year. And one of their losses was a two point loss to the Seahawks. One was a four point loss to the 49ers. And one was a three point loss to the Ravens. So, I mean, they were close. It was a good season. Uh, regardless, uh, but they were close to being having like an amazing season under the circumstances. And they didn't lose their quarterback late in the year. It was like pretty much the whole season, more yes. or less. Uh, so yeah, Mike Tomlin, number one, I think we all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now I kind of want to move this, him this up beca- actually. Yeah. This became a Mike Tomlin uh, above Belichick conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got Sean McVay at number seven. And I think he probably would have been higher before last season. There's kind of like all these narratives now, like, oh, Belichick and Patricia or whatever figured out McVeigh and and all that and, and kind of exposed him or whatever. But I do think what he showed over the <clears throat> what over the second half of the season, they kind of shifted gears from pre- predominantly like an outside zone running team to more gap stuff in the middle. Um 
predominantly 11 personnel to 12 personnel. They basically, he had to really, I think, like coach his ass off um, for them to do that. And, and the results were really strong over the second half of the year, especially late, late towards the end of the season. I expect them to, I expect McVay and the Rams offense to bounce back even more, I think, this season. I'm still very confident overall in just his ability to coach up an offense, scheme an offense, get the most out of his players. <clears throat> I appreciate ex- how aggressive he is as a coach. Um, not only, I mean, part of it is, you know, the GM too, but um, in player acquisition, that's come back to bite them in the ass some. But I, I would prefer if a team is aggressive and realizes they're in like a Super Bowl window and go for it than be like super conservative or whatever. And so um, I think, you know, he his, the shine has come off a little bit over the last couple, over the last like twelve months or so, but um, I still think McVay is a very good offense or a very good coach, ascending coach. And the other thing is like he's what like thirty five or something like that, and the ability to, to command the room and you know be the dude in, in a locker room full of like like alphas is pretty impressive. Like just his ability at that age to be so um, like. A, a dominant force in the, philo- the philosophy yeah. and identity of the team, I think is pretty impressive. Pat, is it you, speaking of the Belichick ended Sean McVay's career narrative, is it you who compared Belichick uh, to Daniel Day-Lewis making the kid in There Will Be Blood quit? I actually, that, you? that sounds like, it's actually stunning that wasn't me, but I don't think it was me. Oh, someone, <laughs> I thought it was been. you. Someone, you know how Daniel Day-Lewis was so intense on There Will Be Blood that the original yes. actor quit? That was someone said that Belichick <laughs> did that to Sean McVay in the Super Bowl. Pat, I think it was you. That's that's I, all I'll say. I, I know that there will be blood story. I know a lot of there will be blood trivia, but I yeah, think it was I'm you, dude. Sure I actually am shocked that wasn't me, but I don't think it was me. All right, I'm gonna look this up. All right, I think that uh, I, McVay's on my list too. I agree. Um, Pat, is he too low, or is he just right? I might have him too low on my. I have him seventh. Is, Danny, is that where you had him? Yes, he's seventh on mine as well. I have him 10. If I was starting a franchise, I mean, I really don't think I would take six. I think my list is a fraud because I don't think I would take six other coaches ahead of Sean. McVay. Yeah, but there's, a, there's, there's, I was thinking about this when I was putting my list together too. There's multiple different ways to build a best coaches list. And I think part of it is like track record over time. And then part of it is like, okay, if you're choosing between these two guys, who are you going to take? Because I agree with you. Like, there might be a few players higher on this list that I would that I would take McVeigh over right now if I'm starting a team. But I still think he still isn't to me like in that that tier of like the elite coaches in the NFL. If that makes sense, I think that he and Sean and Kyle Shanahan. I, I think that Kyle Shanahan overtaking Sean McVeigh, and, and that's this is the amazing thing about this list. If we were to do it 12 months ago, Sean McVeigh is third. Fourth, right. I think I, as, I had a third last year. Yeah, and as an experiment, the day after the Super Bowl, I think Danny, you were sitting next to me at the hotel, and I just put on Twitter. I just said, "Who would you rather have as coach, Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay?" And it was like ninety percent Kyle Shanahan. And it was like <laughs> if I had just done this five months earlier, it yeah. would have swung the other way. So it's actually pretty incredible how much the the perception has has shifted in that regard. And Danny, you made a, a good point about putting together these lists because you know I would probably 
take Sean McVay over Mike Tomlin if I were an owner starting an NFL franchise. But he said, you have to, we can't pretend the track records don't exist. Like, right. Sean McVay will probably be better, but I mean, Mike Tomlin has been doing this for over 10 years. And he, even if we sometimes don't understand how his teams are always so good, I mean, he's doing something right. And yeah, you have to just kind yeah. of defer to the track. I mean, the track record should not be the end all be all, but there are situations where you just have to defer to the track record. I have Mike Tomlin ranked ahead of Sean McVay, and I think I'll get to it when I get to my list. That's all. Danny, next up. (laughs) All right. Speaking of Shanahan, I got Shanahan at six, and I think a lot of it's basically a lot of the same things I just said about McVay. Do you you have Pete Carroll as a top five coach, or you do not have him on this list? I have him at number five. Okay. I just wanted to, I just, I didn't know if this was going to be the take or not. You were either no, going to no. have him at number, you were either have him really high or he wasn't going to be on the list. Number one or number 28. Yeah, number one. Yeah. Exactly. I, w- I was kind of alluding to it earlier because I think the, the track record argument is Pete yeah. Carroll. And so we can get to that in a minute. But Shanahan, I think, is, is a very similar kind of discussion as McVeigh, like scheme. His scheme is absolutely bonkers good. You know, the way he he uses the run, the way he uses that to set up play action, the way he can scheme guys open. I don't know if there's an offense in the NFL that has like a more clear identity than the 49ers. I'm sure like the Chiefs are another one too, but like, you know exactly what you're getting with the 49ers. And everywhere he's gone, it's been really effective, you know. And and so um, obviously it took a little bit of time for him to kind of get his groove in, in in San Francisco because of the injuries to quarterback and all that. But I think we finally saw last year kind of like his uh, like potential as a coach long-term. And so um, he and McVay, I guess are kind of like in the same, same tier for me. Like if I'm starting a team with a young quarterback, I want these two guys over pretty much everyone except for the top two, maybe Um, Mm. just because, well, maybe the top three, but just because like they understand offensive football and they understand that, um, you know, both of them, honestly, like both of them are very, very into the run game too, which is kind mm-hmm. of a, a weird like contradiction. Cause everyone talks about, um, you know, how like that's like going the way of the Buffalo or whatever, but like the way that they balance, like the way that they play balanced offense and, and scheme everything up for their, for their quarterbacks and get the most out of their quarterbacks. I think that's the kind of guy I want around my young quarterback. If I'm like a, a franchise looking for a head coach. All right, Pat, 10 through 6 for you. All right, let's go. Uh, Mike Zimmer at number 10. You know, which. So he, you're the only person who's going to have Mike Zimmer on their list. Make your case for Mike Zimmer. I think Mike Zimmer is a very good coach, but I don't have him as a top 10 coach. Hit us with the Zimmer take. He is right on the borderline. You know, I kind of wanted to maybe get Sean McDermott in there over him. Uh, but, you know, so the first, the first bar you want any head coach to clear is to take care of his side of the ball. You know, we have right. a few CEO-style coaches, but most head coaches, so one of them is usually still coordinating one side of the ball. And if you're going to do that, like, you're not worth your salt as a head coach if you're not taking care of your side of the ball. And Mike <laughs> Zimmer always takes care of the Vikings defense. And so he clears that bar. And then, you know, the next step after that is you need to find uh, kind of like the right leaders for the side of the ball you don't uh, lead. And he's consistently done that, you know, even with the fire and brimstone rushing ways, which kind of annoyed everyone on Twitter. Uh, he got his offensive coordinator, a head coaching okay. job last year. He also got Norv Turner to just quit his job. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you can go uh, either way on that. 
So, yeah, he's got the right bosses on offense because even after losing Stefanski, now he has Gary Kubiak, you know, one of the better coaches in the first century. I love that too. His Kirk Cousins, he has Dalvin Cook. So he takes care of his business and he's got the right people in charge on the other side of the ball. And we can argue about if his offensive approach is the best way to do offensive football in 2020. Um, but yeah, and with within, you know, like the world football world, he's he's winning at the football world he's created, basically. Like he's put down his conditions and he's like succeeding within them. So I think Mike Zimmer's a, a top ten, a borderline, but I think he's a top ten coach. I had Zimmer and McDermott in that tier with Arians. I was trying to decide between those three for my number 10 spot. Just so I think I'm on the same page with you on that one. I do think it's funny. Mike Zimmer is what we would all agree is an old school coach. And he is not only run his defense in a very um, efficient way, but he certainly has certain things he likes on the offensive side of the ball, as you said. And what I do think is interesting is almost all of these coaches are what we would consider old school guys. And a lot of that is just kind of survivor's bias in the sense that if you're, with the exception of McVay and Shanahan, if you are if you have a track record right now, you started 10, 15 years ago and you started an assistant even earlier than that. Um, and thusly, you will come from a different generation of football. But then, as you said, Danny, Shanahan and McVay are run heavy or at least flow through the run game as well. And so yeah. this goes back to something that I've talked about, which is that I think that the media and the actual game of football are in very different places right now where we sit around talking about passing efficiency. And listen, we're going to get to Andy Reid here in a second. And that's, that's someone who is extremely, or actually a while, because he's going to be both all of our top fives. But uh, he obviously is the master of pass efficiency. But I still think that there's, I think if you kind of gave a questionnaire to the top 10 coaches on our list, they would consider toughness and the run game and all of these things way more important than we do. And I think that's an interesting observation when we start to, to look at these lists. All right, Pat, number nine. Speaking of the run game and speaking of toughness and all that, uh, I have Pete Carroll at number nine, which feels way too low. Like it is too low. I almost always have had it. <laughs> um, but this is where I came up like upon where it's really hard to distinguish between like overall legacy and like current Pete Carroll's frustrating because Pete Carroll is one of the greatest coaches in football history, you know, not just NFL history, but football history. Like you can't, you can never take away from him a uh, cliche alert, uh, what he did at USC and now what he's done in Seattle. But like, uh, I was talking about like Mike Zimmer. Both, kind of both situations, by the way, both situations, that were not easy. No, when no, no. when Pete Carroll went to Seattle, nobody was like home run hire. They're going to be good in two years. And that's people the same in Seattle with USA. were pissed. I remember. Well, I yeah. don't remember. I wasn't there. You were there. I vividly remember listening were to you the radio. Pissed? I was like kind of agnostic about. it. I was like, I guess, like okay. Um, but I remember like people were like, "What the hell?" And they gave him like this big deal. And and um, I think pretty quickly people kind of bought into him though. It was like a one step ahead of the sheriff type of thing, too. Yeah. So there, there was like an element of it. Uh, uh, to, to Pat's point, though, and I, I don't know if this gets talked about. I, I, I don't hear people talking about this, but Pete Carroll is one of three coaches ever to win a national championship in the NCAA and in Super Bowl. Yeah, he's one of the greatest coaches in football history. And Who's yeah. the third besides Jimmy Johnson? Switzer. Switzer. Oh, man. <laughs> Jerry Jones yeah. is getting after it. I know. And yet, pretty soon, uh, he'll get it with Lincoln Riley, too. Oh, yeah, exactly. oh Link, Lincoln has to win national championship. I was going to say, I forgot. Lincoln's He's definitely going to win a Super Bowl with Dak, with $45 million a year quarterback Dak Prescott in 2028. But yes. 
but so yeah, with Mike Zimmer, I was talking about someone who puts constraints on themselves. I mean, Pete Carroll takes this to the extreme where, you know, he has like, he's basically it's like a nuclear weapon at quarterback. And it's very frustrating to see him treat him like the red Baron, basically like, he did, like a world war one, like dog fight. So it's so frustrating for us on the outside to watch, but I don't know. He's, he's averaged 10 wins since they won the Super Bowl. So it's not even like he's really fallen off. It's just, I think the narrative though is correct that for as good of a job as he does, uh, it should be even better than it is. Like if they would just open up the offense a little bit, the Seahawks, just this, the insistence on making everything as difficult as possible. Oh God. Uh, yeah. so I, feel like- I don't know, man. I, 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 I get that argument, but I don't know. It, it's very complicated. I'll say it's that. I, Kevin, I mean, you're, Kevin, you're the one who tweeted the Seahawks have never played in a normal game ever. I, I'm aware <laughs> that I tweeted that. Unlike Pat, I know what I tweeted. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> kidding. I looked it up. You did not tweet that. You did not tweet that uh, Belichick McVay thing. I've maybe I just made it up, and it was an incredible joke it's that I assigned you to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it was someone out there. I promise. I, I apologize because I, I even like searched it to try to find out who did it and it's not there. So someone did it and someone's very funny and we congratulate them. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there's kind of a, I don't a think Pete Carroll's going to change. Yeah. I don't think Pete Carroll Carroll's going to change. I don't think tomorrow he's going to go and hire, you know, some 29 year old college coordinator and to say, open it up for Russell Wilson. No. Um, and I think that on balance, Pete Carroll is a, a huge net positive. He is. It's just, it's basically become like a vision quest for him. Like winning is no longer good enough. Like it has to be his way. It's winning and, forever, um, Pat. Yeah, it's it's winning forever. <laughs> yeah. You try winning forever. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just bored. I mean, when you've won that much, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, uh, screw yeah. it. Like these final five years, I'm just running the ball 4,000 times a game. I don't care. I, I have Pete Carroll at six and Danny has him at five. And we, we cherish our ringer colleague, Pete Carroll. I actually thought Danny, I love Seahawks fan, uh, Pete Carroll psychodrama. I thought Danny would have him lower. <laughs> Seahawks Twitter is one of the most entertaining because of just like the, the constant triggering by Pete. Um, I mean, yeah, like, believe me, I share in all of those frustrations. Um, it's, it's a very difficult, like, like cognitive dissonance or something like that. Like on one hand, he's brought, he's ushered in the greatest era of Seahawks football and, and it's been so much fun. And, um, every year they're competitive. Like literally every year since 2012, they've been competitive. Um, so even before that, they made the playoffs at seven and nine. Early <laughs> right. White right. Even right. that, even the, like two years ago, as uh, Cable Thanos reminded us on this very podcast, Robert May said they had the worst roster in football. <laughs> yeah. And yet Pete Carroll just gave, got them into the playoffs and they almost beat the Cowboys in one of those classic. If Pete, it, that's that, that Cowboys playoff game was a classic. If someone other than Pete Carroll was coaching, they would have won game. Yeah, but if someone other than Pete Carroll was coaching, they wouldn't have been playing in that game. They would have right. gone like five and eleven. So that's it. Yeah. That's Pete Carroll again. He's a net positive. This is a pro Pete Carroll podcast. Um, I think he's he's one of the best coaches of all time. Who's next for you, Pat? It's Kyle Shanahan. Who yeah. again? Eight, you know, is low for someone. If I were starting a franchise, again, that caveat. But you know, he's still under five hundred as a head coach. Yeah. Uh, what's so weird about like? So basically what happened with Kyle Shanahan last year, uh, 
feel it was like kind of like too like a young coach having trust and like his key like lieutenants was like a huge mm-hmm. deal like letting John Lynch shape the roster letting Robert Sala I, how do I how do you pronounce Sala by the way do I, I, never I think it's anchor I think it's that like letting just, him do just, his thing on defense and you know what's so scary about the 49 is like you know they were undermanned in the backfield they were undermanned in the receiver core and it was it's not like they were like overflowing with like excellent individual performances. Like yeah. this really was like a triumph of scheme over players are still executing it. Like I was to say scheme over skill, obviously there's a ton of skill, but this was like a truly a triumph of scheme. And like, that's what really like hints at this basically like the unlimited upside uh, for Kyle. Yeah. Wasn't even close to the best personnel he's going to have during his 49ers coaching career. And like you guys said earlier, I mean, he did it with the Falcons. He did it with the Redskins. He even did it with the Browns before they went off the yeah. rails that one year. <laughs> they were like scoring a ton of points with Brian Hoyer. And uh, yeah, so the track record is for like track record political reasons. I got to keep him at eight. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's he's one of the best young coaches in the NFL. I, I think it's amazing. I went up to do a story on George Kittle in December. And the week I was there, everybody I talked to was like, man, we're getting our ass kicked with injuries. And I think that because they were so dominant, especially in the NFC playoffs, then for the first three quarters of the playoffs, I think we forgot how much they kind of overcame. I remember people like real football people were like, man, that Western Richburg injury is really going to hurt them. And because Western Richburg is a good player. Meanwhile, they just kicked everybody's ass after that. They didn't have either of their tackles either, right? They didn't have either. I mean, it was just unbelievable. The coaching job he did to, to really round that team into a dominant force. And by the way, I mean, I, I, the jury, is still out on whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is a great quarterback. I think he's good. He's obviously good enough to win a Super Bowl because we saw that. And I think that there's Jimmy Garoppolo with Kyle Shanahan as a great quarterback. Um, but how many guys with Kyle Shanahan are a great quarterback? And how many guys need to make $26, $27 million, especially next year when he goes to a $2 million dead cap hit? That's There's just more questions and answers there. But the only thing I know for sure is that Kyle Shanahan's a really good coach. He's an amazing coach. And uh, number... Number seven, got Sean McVay, uh, which again is too low. Like, Kevin, I know you're a tennis fan. Like, McVay and like Shanahan, they're kind of like Nadal and Federer, I feel like, of the young coaches. Where they're going to be like forever yeah. intertwined, like always being compared what to What evidence do you have that I'm a tennis fan? I'm not a tennis fan. I thought I've seen you tweet about tennis before. I- I, you're confusing me with someone. This is like the Belichick Daniel Day Lewis. So we're, we're, we're like very frequent. Have we ever? Have we ever? Do we follow the wrong people? Am I following <laughs> just a different person? And you, you think I'm someone else? We are very frequent favoriters of each other's tweets. Have you seen I've that never. I'm, I'm gonna. You keep talking, and I'm gonna see if I've ever tweeted about tennis. Anyways, they remind me. Yeah, they're gonna be forever intertwined, like Nadal and Federer. Is like yeah. they came up at the same time together, kind of. They're in the same division, directly competing with each other. And uh, Sean McVay, Danny alluded to it too, or maybe it was you, Kevin. I can't remember anything about Kevin. Apparently, uh, <laughs> yeah. McVay maybe where he's hurting himself more. It's kind of in the front office, you know, he's not the GM, but maybe he's biting off more than he can chew in some of these other areas that aren't like scheming offense. And, you know, it's like a really over leveraged roster at this point. Um, but even Sean, you can make the case for McVay, even that 2019 was a positive because you know, everything about his success the first two years was like managing and manipulating Jared Goff. And that became so much more difficult with the offensive line going off the rails last year. And with Todd Gurley, not being an effective safety valve and they still went nine and seven, you know, an extremely tough division. And 
Well, we still we might have also seen with Sean McVay last year, kind of like you know, like the limits of like scheme and like a great coaching mind. Like you can't question Sean McVay's coaching mind, but if the whole recipe is to like manipulate Jared Goff, like it's not you know a ton of margin for error, which we kind of saw last year too. So, but he seemed as Danny alluded to, or Kevin, one of you, uh, <laughs> seems very ran out much different uh different formations last year and uh he's going to be uh, a factor for decades is there anything more important than managing and scheming up things to make your make your quarterback's life easier in the modern nfl like if you have a if you have an elite superstar quarterback like we Congrats. call that the anti the anti Freddie <laughs> Kitchens award, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, like, is there anything more important for all the coaches that don't have like a future Hall of Fame quarterback right now? Is there anything more important? Sean McVay could go zero and sixteen this year, and next year I'd still rank him in the top ten because of what he was able to do with Jared Goff, yeah. who went from one of the worst rookie seasons in history under Jeff Fisher in history. Like, truly, and we did a podcast around that. Yeah. His comps were like Andrew Walter and those guys. <laughs> this was like not Jimmy a positive. Jimmy Clausen, he was yeah. around those guys. And Sean McVay turned him into a guy who was worth the mega contract. Now, obviously, made the Super Bowl a year later. I mean, that was an unbelievable coaching job. And I understand the track record part of it. And that's the reason I have most guys in my top five. But with some of these guys in the top 10, they just did one or two individual coaching jobs that were so good that in my mind, they are elite elite coaches yeah all right uh did you go through your six Six. i I already i didn't but i did it was mike tomlin who we've already decided actually not the sixth best coach but the best coach (laughs) all right uh i have i will go through mine mine quickly uh because i only have one that is different from you guys and i will say the one person that you guys did not have his borderline that I would like to to add in as borderline is Mr. Mike Vrabel. Mm. This is another guy in the Tomlin zone where I'm not sure why he's, I can't pinpoint one thing like Sean McVay making, you know, improving Jared Goff or whatever. He's not the offensive coordinator who turned Ryan Tannehill into an elite quarterback um, in the second half of last year. Um, that was the God Arthur. And, but he did a hell of a coaching job this year. He, I think that teams, we know that team's identity. I think that's important. I think that the ability to, even though he wasn't a defensive coordinator, Dean Pease was, um, Dean Pease is not coming back after retiring this year, but to go into Baltimore and kind of dismantle a Ravens team that was, I I thought the far and away favorite. Um, It was weird because going into, the playoffs, I felt like everyone had strangely forgotten how good Patrick Mahomes was. And then after divisional weekend, we'd somehow forgotten how good Lamar Jackson was because of just the, the way things had gone. And I kind of think that the Titans, you know, I, th- there have been people, I, someone sent me a question. We did a mailbag thing a couple of weeks ago and somebody sent me a question that was like, what are the Ravens need to do to get over the hump? And it's like, wait a second. They were the best team of football <laughs> last year and they have the MVP. Let's not go writing off anybody. But that that Titans game um, was so impressive. And obviously um, they they get to the AFC Championship game as well and have that lead. And so I'm, I'm in on Mike Vrabel. I just think he's a good coach and he's my borderline. Number 10 for me is Sean McDermott. Love Sean McDermott. I like that. 
I love Sean McDermott. And this is Sean McDermott took over in 2017, made the playoffs in his first year at nine and seven. He made some unfortunate missteps along the way. He started Nathan Peterman for a handful of games. Uh, oh, I forgot about that. In yeah, a, yeah. Played in a a Jaguars Bills wild card game that we should all just go ahead and, and forget. I had. I already did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, takes a step back in 2018 at six and 10 and then gets the Bills at 10 and six with Josh Allen at quarterback to real AFC East contention. And with a couple breaks, they could have done it. And I think that going into this year, um, he's a coach I would want to have. Unfortunately, the uh, the number one coach on, on my list, spoiler alert, is also in this division. But I think that the culture he's been able to build with Brandon Bean very quickly, um, they took one of the biggest dead cap hits in the history of football um, to, to flush that roster. And the ability to build it back up that quickly and build a defense with an identity and identify talent and know what they want. And really, you know, one of the things I think is interesting about Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean is that they've been able to integrate mid-level veterans in a way the Patriots have as well. And this is something I've talked to both of them about. But that's the sign of a good coach to be able to acclimate those guys really quickly. And I'm I'm in on Sean McDermott and I think that he is definitely a top 10 coach. Um anything on McDermott guys? No, see I mean he's like the defensive version of like McVay and Shanahan, but he's like yeah. the best young defensive. You know, we're always going to be drawn to the offensive coaches more. I feel like that's why McDermott is like starting out lower. And you know, they haven't won a playoff game. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he just knows defense, like period. Like it's not even up for debate anymore. And he, I feel like his his downfall that he doesn't have a downfall, but it's kind of been similar to McVay's, where I think maybe he bit off more than he can chew in the front office, where he's already got. I know he's not the GM, but you know they're not uh, taking Josh Allen or Sean McDermott. Uh, Right. He's probably he was probably a driving force of the Josh Allen. And you know, now he's got a big problem on offense, in my opinion. Sort of like Sean McVay, maybe he could have some more growing pains to work through, kind of because of some unforced errors in the front office. But yeah, he's one of the best young defensive minds in the NFL. Uh, just very quickly say I agree with Rabel too. Uh, he kind of passed the Zimmer test. He takes care of his side of the ball, put the right people in charge and offense. You know, made a bold decision with benching the quarterback last year. Vrabel is another guy like right on the periphery of the top 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with, with both of them. And I will send Bills fans to at Roto Pat for the Josh Allen shot. <laughs> well, I, oh, yeah. Okay. Distance, I'm not excited for McDermott. Distance. McDermott no, fan. no, no, no. The Josh yeah. Allen thing. Because there's nothing. What, what What's wrong with being good as a coach with Josh Allen at quarterback, Pat? <laughs> perfectly perfectly acceptable quarterback i don't know it's why true. you would say that uh, yeah you know um, josh allen's gonna be a flashpoint this offseason i've learned that very quickly i agree i want a running bit to be i'm just scared to say anything bad about josh <laughs> allen i'm just terrified to say it all right uh sean mcveigh is my number nine uh, pretty obvious there. As I said, he will. He's on this list for as long as there is a list because of what he was able to do in changing the culture and the foundation post Jeff Fisher. Which really, I mean, listen. There's a handful of coaches that you've had to take that guys have had to take over from. Where if you turn it around quickly, it's a miracle. I think that if if Kevin Stefanski can take over this year with a Zoom off season and no OTAs or whatever and build on whatever Freddie Kitchens laid to waste in Cleveland, I think that's an incredible coaching job. That's sort of similar to what McVay did, except Jeff Fisher was the coach for like seven years, six years. Like it was (laughs) unbelievable uh, that he had that long of a a tenure and that he was able to 
whatever the opposite of culture is, that's what Jeff Fisher built. And Sean McVay's ability to improve on that almost overnight is one of the best coaching jobs in a very long time. Uh, number eight, Doug Peterson, as I said, um, not just the Super Bowl year, but last year to, to win with what I consider a backup team and a starting quarterback. I mean, there were, there were some dire names in that 53-man roster at the end of that season, man. There were some dire names. Um, and also, by the way, they went into New Orleans a couple of years ago and almost won a playoff game against them, and they, they would have put them on track for another Super Bowl. I mean, this is... Uh, and Doug again, Peterson with a backup is, quarterback. Yeah, Doug Peterson is a legitimately good coach. Uh, number seven, Mike Tomlin. Again, he should probably be number one on this list as we've all talked ourselves into it. Um, but I, he's just a phenomenal coach. Number six, Pete Carroll. I'll let Danny Kelly expand on that if he wants to. It's number five, <laughs> but that is my number five. Danny Kelly, number five. Yeah, I'll just, I mean, just real quick for Pete Carroll, I guess, since I don't want to let my Seahawks homerism shine through too much here. But I do think just the overall culture and <clears throat> he would call it like program building it's kind of like the college throwback but the program that they have there with explicitly defined philosophies and everything is very very much like spelled out there's a specific plan for everything i think there's nothing worse you can do as a coach than go into something without like a plan mm -hmm. i just hate it when you have coaches that it's like what is the plan here what is their identity what are they trying to do bill o'brien <laughs> there you go um I mean, I, can we I will take, say, can we take a quick Bill O'Brien break because I want to say make something. This. Yeah, yeah. I want to say something. None of us, I bet, when we're naming candidates for our worst coach, are going to say Bill O'Brien because Bill O'Brien is not one of the worst coaches in the NFL. Bill O'Brien is a top half coach. He's one of the worst GMs in football. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. let's get that out of the way. That horrible GM, pretty good coach, Bill O'Brien. Agreed. Okay. He's just a figure Anything of utter else? bafflement. Just like yeah. nothing about him will ever make sense. We can stop. Cause like, even when you think he's a bad on the field coach, like, like last year, I kind of like found the offensive scheme to be very stale. Uh, like then you like forget that he won divisions with Brock Osweiler and Brian. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he's just a figure of utter bafflement. I will never know. I, I'll spend the rest of my career basically trying to find the essence of Bill O'Brien. And I might fail. Uh, yeah, he what didn't even fruitful, want. What a fruitful journey that sounds like. He didn't even want to be his own GM, but his yeah. pursuit of the guy he wanted to be GM was such obvious tampering that he had to back off the Patriots Nick Casero thing. Uh, so he's just a fascinating. He guy. accidentally became the GM. Yes, yes. It's like this is like a plot to one of those '80s movies. With, uh oh, <laughs> accidental GM. <laughs> All right. Anything else on Pete Carroll? Um, no, I think. I mean, that's basically kind of the gist of it. Especially when you kind of look at like some of his protégés that have gone on and trying to tried to do like the Pete Carroll program, like Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn. There's something, there's something to be said about, and this is something we brought up earlier, like the CEO of an yeah. organization, and Pete Carroll is that. Um, that said, I I share all the, I guess reservations about his game management, his decision to. Um, you know, not neuter Russell Wilson, but certainly not maybe maximize what he can do. So, um, yeah, he, he's a tough one for me, but overall, like, I think he's a really, really good coach and, and the proof is in the pudding over like his whole, I guess, renaissance after he got fired, um, from the jets and the Patriots in discovering who he wanted to be as a coach and all that. I think there's certainly something there to, to compete. To, yeah. He learned to compete. Always compete, win forever. I mean, I, I, it's totally cheesy, but like, I really do. I'm a believer in like his, his program building. You made a really I agree. point, B. 
people don't make very often about Pete Carroll. Uh, we, you're talking about as a CEO. Like he's one of the rare coaches that sets the tone on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Like Bill yeah. Belichick does that. Jim Harbaugh did that in the NFL, but Pete Carroll sets the tone on both sides of the ball. And there aren't very many head coaches that do that. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh was interesting to me because he was an offensive coach, obviously a former head, uh, former quarterback. And yet he was at the helm for like a really badass defensive revolution. And a lot of that was the personnel he inherited, but like that became a really tough team. And meanwhile, on the offensive side of the ball, he was just scheming up Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick running by you for 80 yard touchdowns. So there's that. Um, All right. Number four. Speaking of that 49ers team, Greg Roman was also instrumental in, in that offense. And um, I think John Harbaugh is number four and his decision to, completely change the entire trajectory yes. of the franchise, completely change the identity and go all in on Lamar Jackson um, is what makes him such a great, great coach. He's another guy who's very like forward thinking, um, listens to new information and adapts it into his scheme, into his program. Um, I just have a ton of respect for Harbaugh for essentially just embracing the idea that your quarterback is by far the most important thing on a roster and designing your entire freaking team around it. it, you know, from, from the Roman hire to, you know, all the different schematic things that all the different personnel things that they've done. I just think, you know, it showed a lot of vision from Harbaugh in trusting that Jackson was that guy. And and I think obviously they got reward last year. Um, obviously they didn't get as far as they wanted to, but like, Lamar Jackson winning the MVP, all that stuff. I just think it showed what a great coach he is. He's an amazing coach. He's on my list, I'm sh- and he's on Pat's list too. Um, I I actually have him higher than you do, and we'll get to that. But um, mm-hmm. I, I'm the job he did last year was just unbelievable. And also the thing about Lamar Jackson and that the building around him, building that line, and scheming the way they did was, I I think that. There's some, there's some football relationships that seem kind of written in the stars, right? And I couldn't imagine Patrick Mahomes with anybody other than Andy Reid. Um, right. Maybe you give him to Sean Payton or whatever, a couple other of those guys. But I think that there were 20 teams where some really boring coach would have just screwed up Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar Jackson is one of the most talented players I've ever seen play football. He's a football genius. He knows exactly where he needs to be on the field at all times. And yet a bad coach could have easily screwed all of this up and wasted him. And I think that the the coaching job they did last year to put him in the position to succeed and then kind of exceed everybody's wildest expectations in year two. He's, by the way, younger than Joe Burrow still. um, Something which will continue to come up. Uh, I just thought it was amazing. (laughs) Is Danny really? I have Harbaugh also number four, and I'll just say Danny really got at the essence of it. Where you know, in his eleventh year on the job, he changed the entire style and substance of his offense, and he did it in the middle of the season. You know, that's right. like that's like not the kind of change most NFL coaches, you know, are like some of the most stubborn people you'll ever meet, and it's the kind of change they would normally never make. You know, let alone in the middle of a season. He literally changed coordinators basically in the middle of the season. He didn't. Uh, who was it? Who did Greg Roman even replace? Like, Marty Morningweg. Exactly, Marty, my my boy. Um, and like he did that, doing that in the middle of the season just kind of speaks to like who John Harbaugh is, the head coach. Just, yes, the embrace of new ideas is kind of like his number one mantra. 
and why like he's like a lifetime coach at this point. I feel like I think that I think that one of the things about John Harbaugh and Belichick is on this list and Andy Reid is on this list is their ability to think like a young person is really admirable. And I think that we all sit around and we think about I think most coaches stop coming up with new ideas when they're like 50. Okay. And that's why they're all out of the league when they're 60. Okay. And their ability to have an open mind and learn new things and just adapt. I mean, their adaptability is unparalleled. I mean, those three guys, their adaptability is unparalleled. And that's why, in a weird way, from a football nerd perspective, I'm excited to see Bill Belichick without Tom Brady because he's just going <laughs> to have to just do a tons of weird crap. But I think that um, John Harbaugh, in again, as you said, after 10 years in football, moving everything he's ever known. And listen, it's not even though he had Joe Flacco, obviously he came up. He was his brothers is Jim Harbaugh, who's who's done some running stuff with Greg Roman. It's not like um, he didn't understand how football uh, this type of football worked, but he had Joe Flacco for a decade. And then he did the anti he did everything that he did with Joe Flacco. He just reversed on a dime, and that is just so impressive. In the middle of the season, and then got him to the playoffs. So, by the by yes, the way, he, uh, to add to that, he's their 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 team has also been very very good on defense almost every single year, and their special teams are elite almost every single year. So, yes, yes, yes. He, he's a small details coach like Bill Belichick. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Um, all right, keep going. I got Sean Payton at number three. And I mean, I think this one's like pretty cut and dry, like just schematically, like, same deal. Schematically, he's very nimble. He's kind of changed the offense uh, around Drew Brees' evolving skill set, I would say. Um, over the years, you know, they kind of went to a more much, a much more run heavy scheme over the last few seasons. Um, the way that they've been able to kind of remake their defense and continually go all in every year. Um, to maximize Drew Brees' waning, however long he's going to be in the NFL for, they always seem to go in every, go all in every season and just make the best of it for some for some way. Um, so I just think he's he, he's shown over the years, um, you know, not only a great offensive mind but like a good um, schematic mind for 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 str- strategic planning around like maximizing Drew Brees, I guess. I just want you to know, because we're all on Zoom, you can see my face. I was making a cringe face, and it wasn't at your point. It was at a Jeff Passan report that the A's are just not going to pay minor league players anymore. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Every time, I just want to I want to take 10 seconds on this. Every time I check Twitter, there's a new baseball update that I cannot believe. <laughs> Listen, I'm a huge baseball fan, and let's just say baseball uh, having a normal one right now. Uh, <laughs> Every time I check Twitter, it's just some insane off-the-wall update. Like, every other sport is like, we're moving, we're moving towards this, we're moving towards this, we're hopeful this will happen in three weeks. Every other sport, soccer, hockey, basketball, football being update and then Jeff Passan minor league baseball players in the A's organization just not paid anymore yeah baseball's like we now want the players to accept rocks as money uh we know this is a big fundamental change to the structure of our sport but we believe it's in the best short and long-term interest and uh we need everyone to be a team god all right um I'll talk about Sean Payton and we we all have Sean Payton in our top five so we'll get to that uh who's next for you Danny um, I got Andy Reid at number two. Okay, um, you know, obviously got the 
Super Bowl last year, which is a huge, huge thing for him because the the narrative that he can't win in the playoffs was kind of just weighing him down. But like his, you know, historically, always a great offensive mind. Um, has done it with a whole bunch of different quarterbacks, so you know, you know, he's man. Like his scheme is very, very good. He's always on the cutting edge. People are always copying Andy Reid. That's always a good sign. It's kind of like the Belichick thing. Like everyone's always mm-hmm. trying to copy his his ideas, his schemes. Um, so yeah, I think in addition to that, like he he's another one of those guys. Like his players all seem to just adore him. Um, he gets maximum buy in for whatever that's worth. I think it's probably worth a good deal in the NFL. Um, and yeah, just overall very very successful in his career. And uh, same deal. The proof is in the pudding. Like he's just had. 10 win teams like every year. Well, not every year, but like so many times during like Basically the last decade. Every year. Yeah. Yeah. So we all have Bill Belichick number one. Is that correct? Yeah. So why don't we just save Bill Belichick for the end? Like, remember at graduation ceremonies? Yeah. If they were like graduation ceremonies, they'd be like, save your applause to the end. Otherwise, <laughs> we're just going to get bogged down in it. That's our Bill Belichick is number one discussion. So we'll save that. Pat, give us five. Number five was Mr. Doug Peterson, who we've covered at length. And then John you had him higher than everybody else, right? I did. Yeah. I, when you keep, yeah. When you make the playoffs every year with number two quarterback Nick Foles, I take notice. Then uh, I had John Harbaugh, number four. Uh, another guy who like, he was falling and rising for me for a year. I've got to just yeah. remember to always keep him in the top five. And I have Sean Payton, number three, just like Danny, um, who he got it. He got it's not even like he completely reinvented his offense, but. You know, him and Drew Reese, they both always said they wanted to be more balanced on offense. And they finally got back to the more balanced. And then they just basically took passing offense to a place where it's never been before. Like this efficient. And Drew Reese, the top three completion percentage, completion percentage, you know, isn't, you know, like the end all be all stat. But the top three completion percentage seasons in NFL history are Drew Brees the past three years. Um and he's done that way, still averaging over eight yards per attempt and still has a very healthy touchdown percentage and just a completely ridiculous level of efficiency on offense. And Sean Payton was someone who seemed like he kind of needed a change of scenery almost. You know, there used to be like Sean Payton trade rumors. Remember that? Like, that was like <laughs> Remember like the, there were the weird era where it was like Sean Payton's going to go coach at Stanford or whatever. Yeah. Like it was increasingly, it was like the baseball rumors now. Like every time you checked a <laughs> check Twitter, it was just like Sean Payton's going to go this way. I remember, uh, yeah, there's Sean Payton trade rumors. I remember someone told me, someone in football, I forget who it was, may have been an agent or something. I had no idea what they were talking about. They were like, Sean Payton should be, this is like four years ago, Sean Payton should be traded for John Harbaugh. No, it was this thing. John, there, there were multiple Sean Payton trades. Be- I believe it's because he signed a huge contract. And so it was like, what are we going to do with, like, who would take Sean Payton's contract? And then his career completely, he he was always a good coach. And I think that there was some, he had some defensive problems. Obviously, the efficiency with Drew Brees was uh, always, I mean, just incredible. And then they fixed the defense. Part of that was Payton. Part of that was Mickey Loomis. Part of that was Jeff Ireland. But, I mean, they're, damn, this is, I love I love when when coaches rebuild like this. I love second acts or third acts, whatever you want to call this. Like this is this is incredible, and and I like to see when guys can retool it. You know, I mean, I, I wrote this piece a couple weeks ago about 
how to rebuild in the NFL and retool or whatever. And, and Alex Ferguson, the former Manchester United manager, he wrote in his book, or he wrote, I'm sorry, it was in a Harvard Business Review study. And he said that teams have four-year windows and that you should always be kind of retooling. And, and if that there are life cycles of teams. And when you have an elite quarterback, it changes a little bit because obviously the elite quarterback can be around for four, more than four years. But when you look at the Patriots, um, when you look at some of these other elite teams, it really is kind of a four-year window over and over again. And I think that um, the Saints missed their window a couple of a few years ago um, and had a down cycle and didn't retool efficiently. And then they just rebuilt the whole damn thing with Drew Brees and Sean Payton there. And that's why they're elite now. I think it's a hell of a coaching job. That's the reason he's in my top five as well. Yeah, he just seemed like someone who needed a change of scenery, but then he got it in their, their 2017 draft class, which was just <laughs> yeah. incredible with Marshawn Lattimore, mm-hmm. Ryan Ramchick. Ryan Ramchick. Yeah, so uh, he, yeah, he's... It seems like a common thread is coaches who can kind of reinvent themselves. And he's not that he fully reinvented himself, but he's got the adaptability you need to be like a, a decades long coach for one team. There was, I'm, I did Sean Payton trade rumors. There's obviously the Cowboys rumor that has just popped up the Cowboys once in the decade. Uh, there was also a strangely a 2015 Drew Brees trade rumor. This is this is kind of a, a a dire a hero or live long enough to have a trade rumor about yourself kind of thing. <laughs> like these guys have just been around so long that there's just going to be trade rumors about it all the time. Um, all right, what's next, Pat? Number two, I have Andrew Reed. Um, Wait, I'm sorry, I need to stop you right there. There was a 2017 Sean Payton maybe traded to the Rams rumor. <laughs> that's that's oh. this is iconic. <laughs> instantly iconic yeah uh that that 2015 yeah. 2015 fox sports what's the report here uh jason lock and fora saints won't fire sean payton but they may trade him this is when he was available for trade was 2015 the inter, including the likes of the miami dolphins the lock and four also mentions the titans colts and browns are teams who could look at payton meanwhile he was he was two years away from just completely coming all the way back so normally when there's a coach trade rumor, it's because like one team like desperately wants them. Like this was like a straight up like trade market, <laughs> which you don't like ever see for a coach. So yeah, that's pretty incredible. It never happened. <laughs> no, probably never even came close to happening. Uh, but Sean Payton has a way of winning the offseason news cycle. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say that because he got coronavirus. That's not winning the news yeah, cycle. That's a little uh, bit. That's a different category. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Number two, though, got Andy Reid. And uh, Danny laid out the reasons why. He's made the playoffs 15 of 21 years as head coach. And he's done that with – we talk about, like, disparate talents. Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, Alex Smith, and Patrick Mahomes. Like, he can win with any type of quarterback. Uh, he is – Danny also said he's a trendsetter. Uh, he's not – in a copycat league, he's the one setting the trends. And he had he had checked every box except winning the Super Bowl. And, he would have been one of the greatest coaches in league history regardless. Uh, but thank God for him. He got the Lombardi. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He has nothing left to prove. One of the greatest coaches of all time. Sean Payton was a candidate for the <laughs> Michigan job in 2014. <laughs> what is going on with this? this? I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's I didn't know there was like this much of like world building with Sean Payton trade rumor history. This but, was, uh, this was, I think 2014 was the golden age for him to 
to be linked to college jobs. And then next year he was linked to other NFL jobs because there's also David Shaw remaining at Stanford. I mean, there was a, there were a million puzzle pieces like memento, just putting it all together. <laughs> but the key really, was that Sean Payton was connected to ever. It really is. It's really amazing. For your head coach candidate, you can create college rumors and pro trade rumors. You are doing something right as an agent. And, you know, I have not seen it with Sean Payton, but I'm sure it exists. TV rumors. That's true. He would be great that's on how, TV. That's how, that's like the final boss. Like that's how, <laughs> that's like I, the think, final. I think and there's a little bit of Nick Saban there where it's just like, oh, he could go to Texas, but he also might go to college game day. Kevin, he was right. on the athletics list of must follow Twitter accounts that you made as well. Was was I higher or lower than him? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I think you might have been higher. So that's wow! Look at you. That's it, Kevin. You're <laughs> Kevin. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm going to coach Michigan. All right. Um, fine. We all have the same two, top two, two. Yeah, I believe so. Pat, hit us with Andy Reid. Hit you with Andy. You want me to hit you with Bill? With uh, because I hit you with Reed already. At least. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, with Bill, yes. Hit you with Bill. Uh, you know, just overrated. Uh, just not a good coach, actually. <laughs> Bill uh, Belichick. I agree with that. He's just been getting a free ride too long. So yeah, I like. I'm very excited. I think Bill Belichick is going to continue to be an amazing coach. And yeah, you know, I hadn't been excited about the Patriots winning, and so I respect greatness, of course. But you know, I was just I was over it. I will admit it. Um. But now, like, I like really want the Patriots to be good because I just think Bill Belichick <laughs> is so brilliant, and I want Bill Belichick to win eleven games with Jarrett Stidham so bad. And kind of like the angle in my piece I took is like, uh, so, you know, like everyone's going to want to make twenty twenty a referendum on who deserved more credit, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. And the way I kind of frame it, we kind of already saw what Bill Belichick will look like post Brady because. In a lot of ways, they had a post-Brady offense already last year, and part of that was GM Bill Belichick's fault. Um, such a poor supporting cast on offense last year. But, you know, Brady uh, regressing in his twilight years and Bill just counters with the best defense of his Patriots' yeah. life. Uh, wow, 225 points. And uh, this Bill, talk about adaptable. Like, no one is more adaptable. No one is – he's just the man. No one will probably ever approach him and – He's adaptable. Uh, yeah. We talk about like, okay, John Harbaugh changed this mid mid season. Like Belichick changes things midweek all yes. the time. Mid yes. mid game, yeah, yes. mid game, mid week. But he'll just install a new game plan week to week. Like, ah, man, he's just amazing. And that's what I agree with you. I mean, I think that going back to something I said earlier, my favorite Belichick game of the last decade was when Jacoby Brissett started against Houston. And he just, I forgot about it was that. third string quarterback. He never played an NFL game before. And he just, and he just stuffed the Texans in a trash can on Thursday night. <laughs> I guess you know, one of his like protégés too. So it's yeah. like amazing. I mean, it was, that was unbelievable. And I kind of want to see a whole year of that. And I actually, in a weird way, I actually like he's rolling with Jared Stidham because I don't think Jared Stidham is so good that Belichick will will be like he was with Brady and just say, okay, go out there and, and figure this out. Um, remember, uh, this is a guy who signed Tim Tebow at one point. I think he might get a little weird with the quarterback position. And that's something that, you know, when you have Tom Brady, you don't want to do that because you have Josh McDaniels and you have Tom Brady and you can 
basically get out of any jam with those two guys. And now you have Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer, whomever, but it leaves him some experimentation room. And that's why I'm excited to see that. I think that's a top 10 storyline this year is just from a scheme standpoint, what, what, what innovations does Bill Belichick make? This is a guy who talks about the single wing all the time, especially when Tebow was doing it um, or running the wildcat. That, that was one of the things that was so funny about the wildcat when it was used on him was he was kind of embarrassed because he's just a football connoisseur to where like, he remembers studying this stuff, um, you know, when it was run in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s. Um, and so I would not be surprised to see some some huge, huge innovations from Bill Belichick this year. Yeah, I think the, when I think of Belichick, I think of details. And <clears throat> I think there's so many guys on this list, you know, and I think everybody that we've talked about today, you could say are really, really good coaches. Um, but a lot of them have like these really glaring issues with like game management, time clock management, decision-making in crunch situations. Like, and Belichick is far and away, like I would say the best at those types of decisions. Obviously he's not perfect, but um, just, you know, Whatever it is, maybe it's the, like his the stupid double penalty loophole, <laughs> right? Is Bill Belichick, right? And um, it's like he he's famous for like studying what the opposing sideline is doing at yeah. different like times. Well, like makes well, uh, that's different. Yeah. I'm talking about like yeah. in the game, but no, like I know, also I know. you know, but like that was he, the McVeigh thing. That was where he wanted to know. It was that he wanted to know. There's an Urban Meyer thing too. He wants to know where the coach is so he can read his behavior. Right, and you know, not Hab- to bring habitual up the end, line stepper. <laughs> not not to bring up the end of Super Bowl 49 again for God's sake but um like he was looking over at the Seahawks bench and when you know the Seahawks got tackled at like the 2 yard line or whatever Marshall Lynch got tackled and he was trying to decide whether to call timeout and he's looking over yeah. at the Seahawks sideline and they're like it's chaos or whatever and he yeah. ultimately decides not to call timeout and that ended up being like an amazing decision but like just that's just an anecdote that goes to show like overall like how dialed in absolutely dialed in he is with freaking everything every well, it's also, every it's also layer. funny it, the other funny part about that particular it was mostly in do your job um that that was exposed he made the call so casually he was just like mm, don't call timeout <laughs> mm, nah yeah. like it was yeah. a ama- it was like he was he was like at the Greenbrier on August 13th, <laughs> coaching a joint practice with the Saints. Yeah, the not calling timeout thing, yeah, that was like a micro-controversy at the time, like in the 40 seconds that elapsed. I remember like yeah. people arguing about it on Twitter. And like that, to me, that is like the defining moment of Bill Belichick's career, the next play where, you know, very famously, you know, Malcolm Butler, they had run the play. They practiced and practiced it, yeah. What to expect and like, that is like Bill Belichick in a nutshell. Like yeah. that they had no, they knew what to do at that exact play in that exact moment. Like how unlikely that situation yeah. was to come up, and then it did, and they were ready. I need to do my top five really quickly. Um, Kyle Shanahan is number five. Ooh. Sean Payton. Sean Payton is number four. John Harbaugh is number three. Andy Reid is number two. Bill Belichick is number one. Does anyone have any more thoughts on Bill Belichick before we get to the worst coaches? <laughs> I forgot we're doing worse too. I just do want to say that the, the, I looked it up. The, the Texans Patriots score when Jacoby Brissett started was twenty-seven to nothing. 
Oh, that's ins- that's so that's such an amazing that's just as amazing of a Bill O'Brien fact as it is a Bill <laughs> Belichick fact. Uh, like you could argue who owns that fact harder, Bill Belichick. Brock, Brock Osweiler, uh, twenty four for forty one, one hundred ninety six yards, zero touchdowns, one interception in that game. Jacoby Brissett, <laughs> one hundred and three yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, forty eight rushing yards with a t- rushing touchdown. Like Garrett Blunt scored two touchdowns. This is a, this is just unbelievable. This that we is- do we need re- rewatchables of this game that Bill O'Brien call in. All right, um, he might be unavailable for that. All right, uh, let's get to... I, I, I don't want to do a ranking of the bottom 10 or whatever. I want to do everybody's worst coach, and then we can throw out some candidates associated with that. And the reason, again, is because I just don't think it's... it's There's such a glut of bad coaches. Freddie Kitchens is not walking through that door. Okay, Jason Garrett's not walking through that door. And I think that it's much easier for us to just say who's the worst and throw out some candidates. Danny Kelly, worst coach in football. I got to go with Adam Gase. I think it it came down to a couple of guys. But. It's, a, it's a body of work thing. It's, it's just a body. Of, <laughs> Matt Patricia is is yeah. has has done really well the last couple of years of being the worst coach in football. But exactly. Adam Gase has been doing it for years. It's a track record thing. <laughs> I just think so. Like, let's just run like quickly run through a few things that like he's he's the opposite of what I think good coaches would do. Like, extremely bizarre press conference affect like what what is that like i know that's not the most important thing but like as a head coach you're you're kind of the face of the organization you're you're the ceo you're projecting an image of your team and gaze like you know we don't have to spend too much time on that but like it's bizarre number two he constantly alienates his own players which i think is just not Amazing a smart thing in a head coach yeah not a smart yeah. thing to do you know especially like the the Le'Veon bell thing is hilarious because i know that um, the Jets had all this like shift of like personnel in their front office and all that, but like immediately alienating this guy that you paid like a, a bunch of money and you can't get out of his contract, like immediately alienating that guy just doesn't seem like a good strategy, frankly. No, but he also did not change the scheme at all. I think you you know I didn't study the Jets super hardcore last year, but like from what I've read and what I've heard from people that I trust, like the Jets didn't change their offense around like what. Le'Veon Bell does well. They just kind of like, this is Gase. I'm doing my scheme. Our hugely paid running back, you know, he's just going to have to sink or swim. Like, that's not like, that's not smart. And the things that they've done to try and develop Sam Darnold are just laughable. Like, basically everything about, you know, the, the Gase tenure in New York and, and going back, you know, further in um, Miami, like, just none of it inspires confidence at all. It just doesn't seem like there's any plan. Doesn't seem like he's, a good leader that can like install like a overall arching like identity philosophy anything like that so i just I, I don't see the plan at all so i'll say this joe douglas i think is a very good general manager he has a track record that goes back to philadelphia helped build that that nick Foles super bowl team with howie he was in baltimore before that i think that he is a much better gm than adam gase is coach and i think that at some point He'll figure this out, and they'll have a roster that can win. At this point, however, the thing I'm concerned about is by the time you get rid of Adam Gase, and by the time that roster comes into focus, well, what are we going to give Sam Darnold 120 million dollars? I, right. I, you don't know. You don't know. You, coach, getting coached by Adam Gase is not a, a way to find out if you're good. Um, I, I just it's it's going to be hard to tell. I think there's going to be 
there's going to be some insane. I was on with Rosilla this morning. There's going to be some really intriguing. Do they extend these guys quarterbacks in the next couple of years? Because especially yeah. if, if these guys don't pop or they don't go totally like, I don't think any of these guys are going to go full Trubisky, right? Guys like Baker, guys like Darnold, guys like Josh Allen. I think that some of them will get better. Um, maybe they'll get marginally worse, but no one's going to fall off a cliff. And then what kind of contract do they get? Because there haven't really been, we haven't really seen those sort of test cases. Um, I think Ryan Tannehill was a little bit like that, where he got one extension, kind of pay-as-you-go extension, and then he got injured and they let him go, and then obviously he flourished somewhere else. Um, I don't actually see anybody analogous to Ryan Tannehill in this in this crew, um, but I, I'm really intrigued to see what, Adam Gase's coaching, how he has an effect on Sam Darnold's career going forward, how they build that team, and it's it's real bad. I would have just probably moved on from him this year. Yeah, pull so off the bandaid. The Jets are really on the Sam Bradford plan with Sam Darnold, just cycling through coordinators, yeah. uh, struggling to put any semblance of a supporting cast around him. And what it boils down to with Adam Gase to me is so like Bill Belichick. You know, talk about someone who just like doesn't he who just like lives in the coaching moment you give him a bag of lemons he figures out how he's going to make lemonade out of it whereas adam gase is like the guy who's like always focused on like what isn't there basically yeah. it seems mm. like he's always wanting to bring in someone new you know with the dolphins you know he wasn't the gm you know the dolphins so many players they didn't sign to second contracts and they bring in the people that gase wants and you know they don't succeed and then like yeah, with this with Le'Veon Bell already from well, I also I remember he was just randomly feuding with Jarvis Landry almost immediately. Yes, and I'm, someone was like, "Well, they don't like him because he's a millennial," and I was like, "Well, this is going to be a problem." <laughs> Before Le'Veon Bell ever takes a rep with the Jets, Adam Gase is already feuding with him and like you know dreaming of having someone else at running back. And how are you ever going to be a successful head coach if you're focused on like what isn't there, basically? And is he your worst? He he should have been. Uh, okay. he's, my, he's not my worst. He wasn't my worst either. I have Patricia and uh, yeah, Mr. Too. Doug Marone. Uh, he sh- honestly okay. should have been. All right, let's <laughs> let's fight about Marone real quick. I don't think I think Marone and the 2017 coaching job and the fact that he was decent in Buffalo. I don't think that puts him in the bottom two. Saint Doug in Buffalo. Um, with Marone, so I just can't. So again, uh, if you're not going to coordinate your own side of the ball, I'm going to be like a tougher grader. Uh, he's just like, to me, like a classic, like office space gift. Like what exactly do you do here at this point? He's not his own coordinator. Uh, he let Tom Coughlin have free reign. You know, maybe that wasn't by the choice. Um, like the, the only concrete takeaways I have from Doug Marone's time in Jacksonville is like he can't overcome other people's problems. He can't overcome yeah. the bad roster. He can't overcome like Tom Coughlin's toxic relationship with the team. He can't overcome like his issues at quarterback. And I just, I don't know like what has Doug Marone shown that he's going to be the, the coach to get the Jaguars out of this, you know, absolutely nothing. And he's, it's just, couldn't be more clear to me that he will be fired after the season. And I just don't understand I just don't know what Doug Marone brings to the table. You know, he let someone else run just a completely retrograde offense last year. I, I just don't know what Doug What Marone would you say you do here? Exactly. <laughs> so I, I got to say a couple of things. Number one, I disagree. I think that the, the 2017 coaching job he did puts him in a different – Matt Patricia and Adam Gase in their wildest dreams could not have done that and gotten Blake Bortles' name title not. game and almost gotten to the Super Bowl. So Doug Marone is higher for me. I, I, I don't have him in this, in this list. Um, and then I think that, um, 
for me, Matt Patricia walks away with this. It's it's a combination of um, it's a combination of bad scheme, bad hires as coordinators, uh, completely toxic relationships with his players. Uh, we saw that with the Darius Slay thing. Um, he is going to at some point get. Uh, Brian Curtis just texted me the A's thing just in case I hadn't seen it. And <laughs> s- <laughs> oh Craig just asked me, Craig, Craig just asked me how long we're going to go. Oh, we're going to go an hour more on the Oakland A's <laughs> decision not to pay minor leaguers. Um, it, it's, it's, I'm only laughing to prevent myself from just flying into a, a rage. Okay. So, uh, yeah, total package with Patricia, bad coach, bad relationships, terrible with the media. Although that, you know, Bill Belichick was terrible with the media. doesn't matter. Um, no signs of improvement. Um, doesn't seem to make hires or anything based off of what his players do. Well, Matthew Stafford is amazing. Um, from if you, grading on a curve on what he's had to deal with as far as coaching staffs and organizations, stuff like that, the fact that he's still there, um, and has put up those numbers is incredible. Um, all things considered, it's it's Matt Patricia. I think that first coach fired for Matt Patricia is just I, it's one of those things where I feel like you shouldn't even be able to bet in Vegas on it. But I also <laughs> think that the the Ford family's been so weird about this stuff that they might have some weird noble thing where they wait for him to finish out the season. But I can't. If I was a Lions fan, I, I would not. We had Danny. We had a couple weeks ago. Uh, I asked the question. I said, if any Lions fan has seen or heard of any justification for like why, like the, yeah. the contrarian, like Matt Patricia's actually good take, like send them my way. I'd love to see it. And it was mostly people being just like, no, <laughs> yeah, you're, no. you're right. <laughs> we got, I got like probably 30 mentions of people who are like, hey, just checking in on the, the Lions thing you guys said. Uh, <laughs> no, we feel, we feel terrible about it. <laughs> At least so Gase know. has made the playoffs <laughs> and had uh. Matt Moore. Matt Moore uh, starting a game. Matt Patricia like defines like too clever by half. Like he thinks he can like scheme his way out of like any situation. Like he's he thinks he's he thinks he's Bill Belichick's heir apparent, and that has not been the case. And you know he thinks he can. Very he's clearly so. like adopted, I guess, Bill Belichick's like cold demeanor with his players. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't even, even the hire was bad. He was terrible as a defensive it coordinator. Bill was. Belichick built one of the best defenses of all time as soon as he left. That's another <laughs> hilarious fact about Bill O'Brien, by the way, is that after Bill O'Brien left the Patriots, they immediately had two of the highest scoring offenses in NFL history. Uh, so maybe even Bill Belichick can hold himself this, back. This justifies this justifies our our selection of number one. And in yeah, a weird tra- way, it justifies our worst number 32 as well. Good coaches just do not chase off. They did the same thing with Quandre Diggs. And uh, yeah. if you're going to make a positive case for Matt Patricia, I had him second to last. Maybe the only reason I didn't have him last is they actually did adjust an offense last year. You know, they ran the much more aggressive downfield offense. You can't blame Matt Patricia for the Matthew Stafford injury, I guess. Uh, they had a lot of really close losses with their terrible quarterbacks. But yeah, he's just, for all the reasons we let, he, he – just does a laughable job on his side of the ball, despite coming up with the occasional good. He he schemes well against young quarterbacks. It seems like that's about all he yeah. does. Um, and he's just, he got he, he yeah the the Jared he kind of ended Jared Goff. He did, and uh, he I think they that year they did well against Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, but did they do well against Sam Darnold? No, no, Sam Darnold Garoppolo did was hurt that year. Did, did he get in on Jimmy Garoppolo early that year? 
I can't. Yeah, it was real early. It was before yeah. he got hurt. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, don't know, I, I don't know. Maybe I have pandemic brain. I can't maybe, remember. Maybe he should just be a, a young quarterback specialist. Maybe that <laughs> yes. can be his job next year after he gets fired in November. All right. We could do an hour on Matt Patricia. We could do an hour on the A's not paying their minor leaguers. We could do an hour on a lot of things. But we got to wrap it up here. We've done 90 minutes. Guys, thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Truly my pleasure uh, anytime. Yeah, this was a blast. And uh, sorry, one of my great skills is I typically make podcasts go longer than normal. Um, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good skill in the content industry. You've been listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs>